Welcome to this week's edition of Flashback Friday, your opportunity to get some good review by listening to episodes from the past that Jason has handpicked to help you today in the present and propel you into the future. Enjoy. Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques, and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine, self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome, brilliant real estate listeners. This is your host, Jason Hartman, with episode 1009. Thank you so much for joining me today as I am talking to you from Palm Beach County, Florida, in sunny and rather hot and humid Florida. This place is full of life. There is so much life here. It is a challenge to walk the dog who thinks she is a brave hunter. So, uh, yeah, that's something else. It's constant distractions. And, you know, it gets like that for some of us sometimes, right? We have lots of distractions, lots of noise. There's, You know, in today's environment, there is more noise than at any time in human history. We've got noise galore, right? And it keeps us from our plan. You know, we let the whole world distract us and lead us down this path and that path. Just go online and, you know, suddenly you got to watch this video, that video, read that article. And uh, hey, you know, a half hour later or an hour later, you were actually going to get something done. <laughs> but the world's agenda took over and, and that's what happens to us. So we got to keep our eye on the prize. As in the investment world, in the financial world, we have lots of noise and, and things vying for our attention, looking to distract us. You know, there's an old saying that if we don't follow our own plan, we will fit into somebody else's plan. And in the distraction world, that is really quite the case. Uh, that is exactly the case. So um, speaking of random news, <laughs> this one's kind of funny. I thought I'd share it with you. So Trump will likely deserve a Nobel Peace Prize if he pulls off this, I guess, should I call it a treaty with North Korea, maybe? Uh, you know, and gets them to stop doing their nuclear program. But this talk of an upcoming summit that is potentially right around the corner, uh, just nine days away from the date of this recording, there is a new snag. Guess what? You know, everything in life comes down to these little details, doesn't it? And you know what? It always comes down to the real estate. Yeah, it's all about the real estate. So the glitch in the summit meeting right at the moment that is slated to be in Singapore. Now, Singapore is a very expensive real estate market. I've been there twice now. The last time I was there, I just had to spring for that ridiculous but amazing architectural marvel the Marina Bay Sands, you know, the one, the one that's got the pool on the top spanning three buildings. And there was, I think it was a Discovery Channel episode about that, where these buildings basically sink into the earth every day at different rates. They sink slightly and the pool gets off tilt. You know, the pool's like a level, right? And so it's off tilt. So there are, there's a whole array of 
over a hundred jacks, literally just little jacks, like a car jack that you do with your hand, you know, under that pool, that um, stainless steel pool. And every day they go underneath the pool and they adjust the jacks so the pool stays level. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, bet you didn't know that. Okay, so the Fullerton Hotel in Singapore is where the summit is slated. And you know, it's not cheap to stay there. The presidential suite at the Fullerton Hotel near near the Singapore River goes for $6,000 a night. And North Korea, because communism works so well, <laughs> don't you know, is strapped for cash. And you may not know this, I didn't know it either. But at the Olympic Games, guess who paid for all the athletes from North Korea to come and stay there for all their travel and accommodations. Well, South Korea paid for them and the International Olympic Committee paid for them. And now North Korea's got its hand out. I guess they're on welfare. They want the Trump administration <laughs> to pay for the hotel because Kim Jong-un needs a place to stay. I guess he's not going to sleep in the car. <laughs> so uh, he, he needs a hotel room and it's like six grand a night and you know, North Korea can't even foot the bill for that. Isn't that just sad? That's amazing. I know. It's just amazing. But it always comes back to the real estate. You know, if you want to stay somewhere, if you want to, um, you know, put up a cell site, you want to do anything. It's all about the real estate, folks. It's an incredibly durable asset. One of our clients uh, sent me a Voxer message just earlier today and uh, said, you know, I'm thinking of buying this property. And the age doesn't really bug me that much. Get this. The property is 110 years old. 110 years old. Incredibly durable asset class we deal in, isn't it? And you get to depreciate it over 27.5 years, oddly. But he said, uh, you know, should I do this or not? And I said, yeah, I would feel okay doing the deal. You know, we've uh, had clients buy properties like that, but just make sure you get a home inspection never buy a property without a home inspection. And after you do that home inspection, read it carefully, read it carefully and become familiar a little bit. You know, it's nice that you learn so much when you're doing this, you know, you don't just get a property. You don't get, just get an investment. You get an education, right? You get an education and that's a big part of it. And so uh, learn about, uh, as you read those reports, you'll learn about what they call all these things, all these components of a house. You'll learn about construction. It'll just naturally happen as you go along, as you move along. So um, amazing asset class. And you know, lately we've been talking a lot about self-management and we are going to uh, talk about running your real estate portfolio. Thank you to our Venture Alliance member who brought this topic up at our last Venture Alliance meeting, Gary Pinkerton, who's been on the show before. He and his wife, Sue, have about 20 properties or so now. They want to start running their portfolio like a mini family office. Remember that episode I did on family offices a while back? Yeah, this is how the wealthy people, the uber wealthy people, manage their investment portfolios. And they want to start running their real estate portfolio like a family office, getting a virtual assistant to work several hours a month and just manage their properties and maybe self-manage their properties. So we're talking a lot about that and there's some exciting stuff there. But hey, since I'm here at the Southern Command in the Kerry Lutz offices or recording studios, I should say, I thought I'd invite him back onto the show. He's sitting here patiently saying, Jason, when are you going to let me talk? Kerry, how you doing over there? 
Oh, I thought you'd never ask, Jason. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I, I have never been accused of being short-winded. <laughs> so. no, one could, uh, no one could make that claim, but uh, <laughs> hey, I'm all for everybody getting to say their piece and all good. And it's the FSN Southern Command here. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Hey, Carrie, so I wanted to ask you, you know, you interview a lot of people on your show and you talk about all these interesting concepts. And I told you before we started recording here that I wanted to ask you about financial repression. And you said, Jason, that's kind of old news. Why do you want to talk about financial repression? And I'll tell you why, because this is an important thing to understand when someone is thinking about their overall macro investment strategy. I talk a lot about inflation, deflation, and stagnation, the three basic economic maladies. And uh, we have been, oddly and amazingly, for the last several years in a time of uh, moderate inflation. It's been, you know, if you read the official numbers, there's been almost very little inflation, right? But the real numbers, the inflation rate is obviously higher. We've both interviewed John Williams, the founder of shadowstats.com. He's an interesting guest, a great website, talking about the real numbers, not the fake numbers that the government would have us believe. But Carrie, financial repression, tee this up for us. What is financial okay. repression? I'm glad you asked. According to the Financial Times, that's the... British uh, Wall Street Journal, if you will, from their lexicon. Financial repression is a term used to describe measures sometimes used by governments to boost their coffers and or reduce debt. These measures include the deliberate attempt to hold down interest rates to below inflation, representing a tax on savers, and a transfer of benefits from lenders to borrowers. Time out. And a huge opportunity for real estate investors. Go ahead. Yeah. And uh, financial repression is also used to describe measures to facilitate a domestic market for government debt and the imposition of capital controls. The combined effect of these measures means funds are channeled to the government that would otherwise flow elsewhere, the so-called crowding out effect. Crowding out, just mm -hmm. what Starbucks does to all of the other coffee shop choices. So you have to drink their poison and eat their poison. But lest I digress, go ahead. So so financial repression, mm -hmm. that's what it says in the Financial Times lexicon. And I had Jillian Ted on the show from Financial Times mm -hmm. in the past. You probably interviewed her too. That's interesting. But let's talk about what it really means to people. So it means that old, usually older people that should be able to survive quite nicely, they saved money, they did the right thing, they were conservative, they didn't blow all their money during their working years. And by the time they get to retirement, they're in this environment where because of financial repression, they are basically forced, forced, Carrie, into investing in things that are way more risky than they should be investing in, right? So they're mm -hmm. forced to take all these risks. And uh, is that going to end well? Bill Tatro told me a story about a friend of his. He's great, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And he said the guy because he couldn't get any return, he was selling VIX contracts. Because, of course, there wasn't any volatility in the stock market for years. <laughs> yeah, right. And he was selling them at 9, and the VIX popped to 51. It's now around 15. But he managed to lose 80% of his investments. That's and so you could sad. argue it was because of financial repression. Yeah. Another thing that happens as a result of financial well, first, repression. First, make sure everybody knows, VIX, of course, is the index for volatility yeah, in the, the stock VIX. market. The VIX, Just, yeah. Google VIX, V-I-X, and you can look at a chart of it. 
it was under 10 and it was at nine at one point. And then it like a couple months ago when they thought the end of the world was coming, it skyrocketed to 51 in two days. Charles Nenner made that call. It was a brilliant call, I have to say. Anyways, so the other net effect of financial repression is that uh, a lot of these senior citizens who plan to retire because they can't get a decent return on their money and they're not willing to take these huge risks, looking to create other sources of income, they go and become a greeter at Walmart or a cashier at a gas station mart, you name it. All of these jobs that people really don't want to be doing, they're doing to make their money last longer because of the lowered, lowered returns. Right, right. So financial repression is a thing. Look at, remember, our philosophy is that what hurts most people, if we align our interest properly with the powers that be, it can help us dramatically. So this is a common theme that I've talked about very, very often over the years. And financial repression, it's terrible for most people. But for the person who does income property right, it's a phenomenal opportunity, one of many. You know, you have real interest rates below the rate of real inflation. So amazing, you know, you have these inverted interest rates, you know, where you're basically negative interest rate environment where you're basically paid to borrow money. And if you don't pay the debt yourself, if you outsource it to a tenant, then it gets even better. So this is why income property is the most historically proven wealth creator in the world. Of course, it's multi-dimensional asset class, and it's great in many ways like that. Let's talk about the Socialist Republic of California for just a moment. My home, my former home, mm -hmm. you know, there's an interesting article in our content group, Carrie. It talks about the California exodus. This has been much talked about for many, many years. And, you know, hanging out with you a little bit here at the Southern Command, you just have like every population number. You're like the book of list. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, talk a little bit about Florida in the past and California in the past and those growth numbers. You shared that with me a while back. Oh, well, Florida took off like in 1967, 68, had 16 million people. The California we're talking about had the same population as New York, 16 million. And New York is now 20 million. California is at 38 million. But interestingly enough, Florida in 1960 had under 4 million people, and now they're probably up to about 21 million people. So the population has grown massively. Same with Texas during that time. Texas is now the second most populous state. I'm not sure what the population numbers are on it, but we'll check them out for you. But it's grown, and it's growing, continues to grow while people are fleeing California and New York, and all of these high-tax states, they said, a study said uh, by, I don't remember who it was, but uh, some, some uh, free market economist think tank, that 800,000 higher income taxpayers were going to leave New York and California alone over the next couple of years, to which the leftist-oriented economists said, that's ridiculous. People don't leave states because of taxes. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. People vote with their feet all the time. Exactly. They vote with their feet for taxes, but also uh, general worldview and belief systems. You know, mm -hmm. the political polarization has become so hostile that people just don't want to live around people that don't sort of share their worldview a lot of times anymore. And, you know, rightfully yeah. so. I mean, the left is so intolerant. Uh, you know, you see these 
violent things in colleges. They're shouting people down. It's just unbelievable. You know, Berkeley, the the bastion of free speech. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, That's the free amazing. speech movement. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, so this is interesting. So where are the coastal Californians moving? See, the tricky thing about California is that the population really hasn't declined as much as it should. It's the complexion of the population is changing. And so you have a lot more immigration. You know, you have immigration from Mexico. You have immigration from China, from India, from the Middle East, from all over the world. And a lot of these people have a lot of money. They're very educated, but a lot of them don't. So it's a really mixed bag. But I was quoted in a Realtor.com article recently, and it was about the migration of Californians to uh, now my former other home, Las Vegas. And I called them tax refugees. And so if you look at where the coastal Californians are moving, this is an interesting chart I'm looking at. 5.1% to Seattle, 3.2% to Portland. Now, Washington State, Seattle, as, as backward as Seattle is in so many ways, it's also pretty progressive. And Thankfully, the state of Washington has no state income taxes. So even though Seattle is its own little fiefdom in many ways, you know, the state is a no income tax state, at least still, right? But Las Vegas, 8.1%, so a bigger number. Phoenix, 7%. Denver, 2.7%. Dallas, 5.5%. Houston, 3%. Uh, These are just kind of the bigger ones. Uh, Chicago, 2.9%. That's kind of surprising. But, you know, Chicago's a world-class city as much as it's got a zillion problems. And New York, another world-class city with a zillion problems, uh, 7.3%. Atlanta, 3.2%. So that's where the coastal people are moving. And you know what's interesting about these migration patterns is that you get this sort of real stratification. And I mean, California is a good study because, you know, you have the ultra rich who have so many entities and so much tax planning and so forth that they're not terribly affected by high taxes in a locality, right? Because they do offshore, they do all kinds of crazy stuff, really creative stuff. Sometimes it lands them in trouble too. And so you've got that, and some of them just don't care, right? They've got enough money that they just don't care, right? But the middle class, they don't have the tax planning, they don't have the creative offshore stuff, and they care because they really see the bite out of their paycheck. And, you know, they're the biggest numbers, and that's who's leaving. That's who's leaving these high-tax environments. Not just California, by the way. New York, same story. So, you know, just let that be a lesson and look out for that and how it affects real estate because um, I'd say it's a pretty serious thing. And it's also not a coincidence that most of these states where people are fleeing from are also uh, landlord-unfriendly jurisdictions. With bad rent-to-value ratios. So they got a lot going against them, no question about it. Another article here that's pretty interesting is that, you know, we talk about the ultra-rich, right? And we talk about California. So I interviewed the, I think it was the founder of The Real Deal. It's like a newsletter that profiles all this interesting sort of real estate scooping, right? And it says, the subtitle I'll read you first. It says, buyers are quickly scooping up high-end eight-figure estates in Los Angeles. And hey, we've got a lot of clients in LA. My That's where I grew up. I grew up in Los Angeles. And it says the, the actual title of the article is 40 million 
is the new 4 million in LA's luxury residential market. And it just talks about how, you know, so far this year, at least 12 ultra luxury estates have sold for, get this, you ready? A combined $632 million. And half of those, half of those in Los Angeles topped $40 million for a house, 40 million bucks. Even in a town where a $10 million listing hardly turns heads. So <laughs> it's just crazy. I mean, mm. that's insanity, isn't it? It's crazy. I guess it just shows everyone wants to live like a movie star in LA, right? Well, not everyone. There's only a few that can pull it off, but uh, it certainly is interesting. You know, today I took a drive. I didn't even tell you this yet. I took a drive up the Florida coast again, but I went somewhere new today. I went to Gulfstream, Florida. Yes. Yeah. I know you're thinking of Gulfstream jets. And I tell you, probably everybody that lives in Gulfstream, Florida can afford a Gulfstream jet. What has amazed me about this place, the state of Florida, is that gobs of money here. I mean, there are some mega mansions here. And yeah, they're a little cheaper than in California, but uh, you know, on Palm Beach, not much. I, I mean, listen, I own three homes in Newport Coast, California, and that's like one of the most expensive zip codes in the country, or at least it was at the time. It's beautiful area, master planned, and so on and so forth, Irvine Company Development. And, you know, I, I mean, these these estates along the coastline here are just incredible. Comments on that? There's just gobs of money in Florida. I, I mean, I knew there were beautiful homes here and such, but there are just so many of them. I'm amazed. Palm Beach, West Palm Beach, Gulfstream, Florida, you know, all up and down the coastline. Yeah, it says there's 716 people in Gulfstream, Florida. It's in, <laughs> located in Palm Beach County, ranked as the 11th highest income place in the United States. Wow. But see, that's deceiving. Even that stat is deceiving. 11th highest income place. Like, okay, but that's not a net worth. You know, if a lot of those people are retired, maybe their incomes actually aren't as high as they used to be, right? When they owned companies that they sold or big real estate portfolios that maybe they sold, but it's just pure net worth. I mean, those houses are just beyond the beyond. I, I couldn't believe it. I was so impressed. Oh, yeah. It's a uh, impressive place. I didn't really think of it as a separate place because it's so tiny. It's barely even its own little town. It's more like sucked into the towns around it. But they carved out a little enclave for themselves. You know, it's like uh, down in Miami, Key Biscayne, Florida, or, you know, there's all these little islands over there. This is on on the barrier reef. Well, you used to live in Jupiter. That's a pretty ritzy place. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, it's got all kinds. Jupiter. Yeah. It's not a golden ghetto by any stretch. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, this place is a golden ghetto. Talk to us a little bit about uh, some of uh, the people you've interviewed recently. Let's kind of just touch on what they're thinking of the economy. I mean, people are hearing everybody I yeah, interview, but, right. but you know, like, I think you had John Rubino on lately, uh, recently. Yeah, uh, well, you know, what are, what are they saying? What are they, know, what's their outlook? A lot of my people have called eight out of the last two recessions, you know? They're kind of perma-bear types. Yeah. So That's the gold bugs. You yeah, interview a lot of those gold bugs. Not just gold bugs, yeah. but it's people who are negative about the future prospects of the economic system and don't believe that Amazon is going to take over the world. They've never made a whole heck of a lot of money. They've just 
bid up the stock so much that the stock is like currency. You're talking about Amazon. Yeah. yeah, Amazon, yeah. So they don't believe in the future viability of Amazon. Okay, and but why is that a perma bid? I mean, that's not the well, broader economy. Just their, but that's the stock market now is, uh, is Amazon. Oh, well, the fangs, yeah. yeah right. Am, no, Amazon in yeah. particular. Okay, right. Amazon's gone up more than anything. Bezos become... Uh, nearly the most wealthy guy in the country. In the world. And, uh, he was for a moment. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So they're pessimistic about ultimate outcomes. The guy who I think is a really good cycle guy, Nick Santiago, believes we're not going to have any major disruptions or crashes till 2021, which just happens to be the year after Trump gets reelected. Well, no, that's, oh yeah, 2021. Yeah, I thought you meant, uh, yeah, I thought you were talking about the midterms for a minute. Hey, Mm -hmm. so let's just speculate for a moment on the next cycle, the next recessionary cycle in the economy. What will bring it on this time? I certainly don't think it's going to be like liberal real estate lending, that's for sure. I mean, is it going to be student loan debt? Is that enough of the economy to manage? Auto loans, choose your poison. Student loan debt, auto loans. General household debt. Yeah, you know, credit high. cards, yeah, right. it's a trillion-dollar bubble, the U.S. deficit, you know, the inability of politicians to control spending. There could be a lot of things that bring it on. Who knows? It could be a bank collapse, like Deutsche Bank is teetering once again. So now the German government's going to have to bail it out yet again. And I thought six months ago that they'd fixed everything wrong with Deutsche Bank. Well, Europe but, has certainly you know, got problems. I mean, Europe is a mess. Deutsche Bank is a big bank in the U.S. as far as derivatives trading goes and, uh, you know, asset-backed securities. Deutsche Bank is one of the biggest because they bought Bankers Trust many years ago that had a big proprietary trading op. So the fact is there's any number of things that could bring it on. But for right now, at least as far as I can see, the economy is headed on a mild upslope. And it'll probably continue on that way, at least through the next election, presidential election. You've been um, pretty bullish on what Trump is doing, it seems like. I don't know, am I reading that right? Well, I mean, it's interesting because you're a New York Jewish guy. (laughs) I'd think you'd be a lefty. (laughs) Yeah, well, not quite. Yeah, okay. Don't stereotype. (laughs) In any event, you know, I wouldn't say I'm totally bullish about what he's done. I'm more bullish about what he's not doing. Right. Oh, you know, that's a, like, I love that. That's a yeah. good point. You know, folks, you can't hear the dogs that don't bark. And I mean, what politician ever sort of runs on a platform of, look, we're going to do less. We're going to do fewer laws. We're going to repeal laws. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of the regulations that have been revoked and that he's working on now, this is the beauty of the mainstream media and their inability. The lamestream yeah, media. Or the legacy media. Yeah. And, you know, they're really so yesterday that, uh, you know, they're not groovy at all. So the point is that while the lamestream media is navel-gazing and Trump is Hitler and all this, they can only concentrate on one or two things per day, per news cycle. And there's a whole host, now that Trump's team is much more ensconced, there is a whole host of initiatives taking place by Trump to disassemble and largely make irrelevant large chunks of the U.S. government. And it's totally being missed by the press, by most of the press. But originally he ran on a, did an executive order. Jason said, we will repeal two old regulations for every new one. Well, he hasn't quite done that. He's done six or seven. 
depending who you talk to. So in other words, he's doing better than promised is what you're saying? Yeah, he under-promised and he over-delivered. And then, you know, you've got... I, I wish I could find a property manager that did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if you could do it... Have I told you lately, folks, about self-management? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. If you could do it, man, uh, I'll hire you. Yeah. But look, uh, you know, it's just people. Once they start out real good when it's one or two guys, then they get big, and then they blow you off because they're making so much money they don't need you, and then they decline. It's just the way it works. Human nature. Yeah. yeah. So Trump, uh, the tax bill, well, less than perfect, still hit a couple of good chords, and its effects are still being uh, felt. But, you know, we still have escalating debt. Now, one good thing is 23,000 less federal employees. Have you noticed any of them missing? No. Nope. I mean, did the IRS answer their phone any slower than they normally do? <laughs> because those 23,000 are gone. And then the elimination of the mandate. So, look, you're not going to get everything you want. Yeah. There's a limit to how much uh, revolution any system in place can take. Yeah. But he's given him a lot more than he's gotten. And look, he's just proof, Jason, to me and to all of you out there that anything you want to do in life, short of trying to ride a bicycle to Mars, anything realistic that has a possibility of succeeding, if you put your mind to it and you stick to it and you don't listen to the naysayers who said, He'll never be president, ha, 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 Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, right. And there were dozens of them that said it. Yeah. I kind of said from the beginning he was going to make it, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. But what it made me realize is there is no limit to what you can accomplish if you don't take no well, for an answer. Well, in, in, in fairness to both sides of the aisle, I mean, it's really pretty amazing, you know, that, I, I mean, Clinton Obama became president. Because, you know, I mean, here Clinton's this uh, governor of a small state, right? He's really mm. not on the national scene. Obama came out of nowhere, you know. I mean, that's love him or hate him, any of them. You know, I'm just pointing it out. It's kind of amazing, yeah. right? It shows you the mobility of the American system. There's but, a ton of mobility. But more so than that, like, look, our presidents have been selected for us for yeah. a long time. Yes. And they were part of the system as yeah. much as it gets. Part of the establishment part of the elite. And and we should do a show like we were talking about recently sometime and talk about uh, the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations a little more. Yeah. We, we both interviewed G. Edward Griffin, and of course he spoke at our mm -hmm. Meet the Masters the year before last. So so that's good. Yeah, good yeah, stuff. Yeah, so there's really no limit to what you can accomplish. And don't let the economy dictate your future. Do what others aren't doing, and you'll be okay. And that's the biggest lesson from me for the Trump presidency, you know, yeah. whether he succeeds or fails from this point onward, nobody knows, nobody can tell. But the fact that he got there and he got there, he did it his way, just yeah. like blue eyes. Yeah. He did it his way. And there's all sorts of YouTubes, which we're going to link to of, <laughs> of, I'll tell you, like you just watch them, Jason, and it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's a pretty interesting. It sure is. Definitely a maverick presidency. So we'll continue to see how this this unfolds. It's amazing. But uh, hey, the question is, in 2020, who's going to run against him? Is it going to be Oprah Winfrey, George Clooney, you know, Elizabeth Warren? <laughs> I don't know. Who would? I, Michelle Obama? I yeah. heard that the Libs are going to form a new party, Jason, called the Weinstein Party. 
So it's just going to be molesters and rapists, <laughs> and but they've got all the money. <laughs> oh, you got to stop it with this. We're getting too partisan here. People are going to actually think I'm a Trump fan. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we don't want them to think that. No, but, guys, that no. would be, uh, they'd ride me out of town if they thought that. That'd be awful. Yeah. Hey, but it's okay. You can believe what you want. It doesn't matter yeah. in the long run. It's believing in yourself that's the important thing. No question about it. That's a good point to wrap it up on. So very good stuff. Hey, uh, go check out jasonhartman.com slash properties and check out our properties for sale. We redesigned that page. And by the way, thank you to those of you who gave us feedback on that page. We appreciate it. We've uh, been kind of fiddling around and, you know, we're not done yet, but uh, wanted to make it a little easier to find properties because inventory is in short supply and make sure you're working with our investment counselors to uh, really make sure they're feeding you the best properties when they come on the market and you're on the email list so you're getting the hot sheet of the newest uh, investment properties and stuff in all these different markets around the country. So we've got these additional markets that are on that page and then we've got some of the uh, more featured markets. And the only difference there, folks, by the way, it's not that we like one market better than the other in the way they're displayed on the page. It's just that the featured markets have more inventory. The additional markets have less inventory. So you got to hunt a little bit more in those, but you can see them all at uh, jasonhartman.com in the property section. And by the way, don't plan any tropical vacations because we are on the verge of announcing one that you can join us in, in November. So get ready for that. It's coming up on the next show. Until then, happy investing. And we'll talk to you on Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go Go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.